calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. You're stuck in this town with us? Don't worry, it's a good thing. It's episode 467 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and oh, do I have so many amazing guests. For you this week, we're going to be talking about the From series from MGM Plus, which is airing new episodes every Sunday. Just debuted this past Sunday. I have Harold Perrineau, Ian Bailey, Elizabeth Saunders, and Scott McCord all with me this week for a spoiler-free chat about this second season where hopefully we get some answers. I need some answers. I'm just craving those answers. We're also getting close to the season one finale of the Rabbit Hole series from Paramount Plus, Amanda Golden going to join me again this week, and Rob Yang to talk about what's going on with Weir, and we're kind of going towards this whole mess with Crowley, and who can you trust? Well, we'll try and figure that out before we get to the finale with them, and also going to bring Andre Anthony back on the show since Scream is now on Digital HD. Let's talk to him about his role in the Scream 6 movie, which is going to be on Blu-ray and DVD in July, but out on Digital HD right now. If you've been waiting to watch that one at home, actually also on Paramount Plus right now, if you want to do that. I'll also talk about the CinemaCon news. I'll give you my review of Citadel, the brand new series that's streaming on Prime Video from the Russo Brothers. And so, so much more. So let's get moving, shall we? The stars of the From series are next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Tierra Nay, and I play Hawkgirl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
The search for answers continues. Season two of From is now on MGM Plus, and they're still stuck in the town. There's still weird things come at, coming after them at night, and that's just the start of season two, which that premiere was bonkers. But I got a chance to talk to some of the members of the cast before the season two premiere about the show. And anything about the show you want to try and do, it spoiler free, right? Because especially if you haven't had a chance to watch the premiere yet, I'm not going to be that guy that spoils it for you. But how can I not have Boyd on the show? Going to start things off by talking to Harold Perrineau about what's going on in this town and what Boyd's doing about it. Let's ask him. Let's dive right in. At the end of season one, you go into the tree, you transported somewhere. So how much are we actually going to learn about just where the hell he is starting off the season? I mean, oh, what we're going to learn is that, that Boyd is asking that very same question. Like, where the <laughs> hell am I? Uh, <laughs> and what is going on? And so once we start off inside that, you know, inside that tree that turns into whatever that's supposed to be, we're just going to see Boyd, you know, constantly, constantly trying to figure out what is going on. Because, you know, before, even though he didn't know what was going on, he thought he could get them out of it. Mm -hmm. Now he's not even, he's not even close to sure about that. <laughs> no, no, like his mind is just split. He just, he still, he just doesn't know where they are. Really? We don't know either, Harold. So, so you, we're we're in good company there. But it, that's yeah. that's kind of an ongoing theme, though, because I know that I mean Boyd's determined to get them out of there, obviously. Yeah. But do you think maybe the more important question is where where are they? Is that the more important question, the more important thing to focus on, rather than actually getting them out? I I, I don't. I, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, maybe now. I think I think for Boyd, at least for Boyd, wherever they are. He just wants to get him out of there. No doubt. Because I think what he's realizing is that these nightmarish creatures, that's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think when you have when you're faced with that, the best idea is not like, where am I? But it's like, let's get them out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's a bigger, that's the bigger problem. <laughs> that is that is quite understandable. And right. to top it all <laughs> off, Harold, I mean, it looks like Boyd's starting to have maybe some visions. We saw a little bit of that. At the end of the last season, we see that in the trailer as well. Yeah. So what would you say is taking the bigger toll on him as we start off season two? Is it the physical or the mental for him? I, I actually think it's the, it's the mental. I think the mental is really, I think, I think Boyd's mind becomes fractured in season two. That's really what I think. And then that opens up room for all kinds of chaos because suddenly they're sort of left with a leader who doesn't even trust himself. And so is he actually even a leader anymore? And so that poses a real, you know, sort of existential question for everybody there. You know, is he a leader? What is a leader? Who is a leader? All those things. So I think for sure more than the physical stuff, and he's going to go through a lot of physical trauma in this second season. I think more than that, it's the mental part of it. I think that's what's causing him the most anguish. And speaking of him being that leader and being in that leadership role, we, we sort of see there's a bus showing up, there's chaos that's going on in the town. How do you think his absence affects the town overall when they are going through such a big crisis like this? Look, it's it's taken him uh, all this time to gain the people's trust who are already there, like to trust where they are, to trust that he can help get them out, even if they have, you know, colony house town differences, even if those differences are really there. So throw in the mix a busload of people, not not another person, a busload of people mm -hmm. who have to come in, one, trust that this place is really what they say this place is, two, trust in some person, some stranger who they don't even meet at first, and then three, 
trusting the other people that are, were on that bus and that are in this town, it's a lot to ask for. And so I think his absence just adds to the, the difficulty for, for everybody concerned. And, and then once he starts distrusting himself, it just really makes the whole thing difficult. And hopefully we can get bored to get them the hell out of there. And Terrell, hey, if you so guys much. find any answers, if you find a way to get out, let me know. We'll do. I'll let point Boyd you. know, and then uh... <laughs> I will point you in the right direction. Harold, thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate you. <laughs> thanks, James. I'll talk to you later, bro. And if you did already see the season two premiere of From, you know, it's a pretty rough one for Jim. So let's talk to Ian Bailey about what's going to be going on for him and his family this season. Good to talk to you again about this crazy show. And actually, you know, last season when we talked, you know, we were just meeting Jim and his family. They're in the RV. Then they get caught up in this whole thing. So how was it preparing for this season now that you guys are basically neck deep in this thing it was a lot of fun because i, I had uh, obviously a greater understanding of what the world is and how the things are going to go down to to a degree and I, I knew going into the second season it's going to be even you know the stakes are even going to be higher than the first which is impressive that that could be pulled off so i was just really looking forward to it and you know i just got my head in the game in advance and showed up ready to roll it feels like understanding anything about this show is like a huge accomplishment which so and anytime we get any reveals i feel like it's 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 amazing so how do you how much do you know about your character's arc going into each season are you kind of finding out not necessarily week to week but not all at the same time like we are in a lot of ways it's very similar to how the audience experiences it Uh, each episode i don't even bother asking and the creator would not say anyways and that's probably why i don't bother asking the writing team they keep things close to the vest so i just accept that and i think that's fine and each episode that comes along i i I read it when it comes out and i think okay all right this is cool i can get into this yeah all right all right let's do it nice nice to know it's just as fun for you as it is for us so that's that's good to know good to know Now, we saw the storm rolling in just as Jim was making contact with someone on the radio. How quickly are we going to see the aftermath of what happens with the tower and all that stuff? And will we actually get answers this season as to who it was he was talking to? Yeah, that's that's Jim's trajectory for this. That sparks it for the second season is who knew his name and who knew what his wife was doing in the basement of our house. That indicates that this kind of twilight zone nature of the place as it as as people think it is may not be the whole story what if we're being watched what if this is a giant experiment then there's people behind the curtains pushing people to see the the limits of how far they can be pushed psychologically so even though that's not the working theory on the town but from everybody else jim is not a not afraid to really take that perspective and like investigate that much further and find some support in doing that over time that radio call at the end of the first season is the thing that pushes him in a very specific direction in the second season which i I really like you know he's got he's got a lot of ideas and he's got a lot of questions and he's adamant at getting after after these answers we saw a little tease of that in the trailer so definitely can't wait to dive into that now, you mentioned Tabitha going down into the hole in the basement. She meets up with Victor down there. Now, obviously, Jim's freaked out by the fact that she's doing this in the first place. But how do you think he would feel finding out that she's with Victor? How much can he really be trusted? Yeah, the timeline of trusting Victor is a much slower burn for Jim than it is for Tabitha. 
she's had some moments with him where the trust, and I think it's down in the the cave system where she starts to realize she can trust him and maybe, maybe before as well. But Jim, as far as it goes with Victor, you know, first looks at him like, is this guy a pedophile? Is he, you know, some, is he, he looks unhinged. He's probably mentally unstable and he's from this place and I don't want my kids near him. So it's much harder to warm up to Victor for Jim. But I know that does happen over time. And in the second season, he starts to understand. It's just like anybody in life. You know, when you get first, people are always kind of like a little bit standoffish. And then you get to know people and some trust is there. And that'll happen, I think, with Victor. Because we can see that he's ultimately, he's one of the good guys. Ian, thank you so much, man, for the time. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Good to see you again. And speaking of Victor, let's talk to Scott McCord, who plays Victor. And also, we're going to talk to Elizabeth Saunders, who plays Donna as well, because that busload of people comes right into her lap. So let's hear what they have to say. Liz, I actually want to start with you because the bus shows up at the diner. Based on the trailer, it looks like there's quite a few folks inside. So how is this going to change the dynamic of the town? Oh, it's going to change it. And it's going to change it as a group. There's going to be individual challenges between people and also some uh, what's the word one of the the characters on the bus really encourages some behavior out of another character and and also is a really great foil so we're going to see a lot of changes because of the bus bus full of troublemakers got it check well we'll we'll just be ready for that trouble trouble (laughs) some cause trouble some it's inadvertent Interesting. Interesting. So Scott, let's turn to you for a second because we saw Victor kind of reappear at the end of last season, meet up with Tabitha in the tunnel. So how much can you actually tease for us about their journey down there and how important that is? What can I say? I mean, they're, you know, they're in this labyrinth. This obviously exists, it exists under the town. That Victor has been there for any number of days. He's been instructed by the boy in white, just to recap, right, to wait for Tabitha and get her out of those caves. Yeah, stuff is revealed. There's things down there. You know, they're not alone. That's for sure. I mean, Victor even even says, we have to be quiet. This is where they sleep. It gets down and dirty, James. There's your answer. I've seen it and it, and it still gives me the creepy crawlies every time I think about it. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. All right. there, there is that. I want to stick with that yeah. for a second, though, because it, it seems like the boy in white, it seems like he's helping, especially Victor, and there's maybe a connection there. So are we going to learn more about that maybe this season? I think yes, but in a in a way that kind of like, what's more interesting is sort of because, you know, the, the, he made that connection with Ethan in the first season over the boy in white. Mm-hmm. And I think where the development really kind of exists is in that connection with Ethan, you know, what happens to them this season. Interesting. Interesting. Liz, it seems like Donna is one of the first people to actually beat and greet these people that come on the bus. After all this chaos that happens, you get the storm, what happens with the radio and all that stuff. So do you kind of think that, especially with the absence of Boyd, does she feel the need to kind of step up and maybe be in a little bit of a leadership role for everybody or just kind of be the one that calms everybody down? Absolutely. I don't think it's a conscious decision. I think it's just that's Donna's innate go-to in a situation like that. So she she just leaps in and does it. And I think she does it while on shaky ground internally, like externally it's shaky ground, but internally she's in shaky ground. So, but she just, it's her nature to step up. No doubt about that. Really quick for the both of you, trust is a tricky thing even on this show. So who would you say that your character trusts the most? Uh, right, uh, Donna for me, I would say. You know, I have to say Victor. Yeah, well, that's what I was <laughs> <laughs> The arm has been twisted. 
You know what? I th- I actually truly do think it is Victor. Mm-hmm. I think that she's got a couple others at Fatima. I think from a distance, Tian Chen, although they don't have much to do with each other. But Victor, I think she has she has a real soft spot for Victor. Yeah. He believes he's true. Special relationship, yeah. Got Liz, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You want to talk about a show that comes out swinging in season two. This show wastes no time getting into some really, really big stuff and paying off a lot of stuff from the season one finale in that season two premiere. And I can tell you, I've watched a little bit ahead and it just gets even more and more crazy, more bonkers. And certain things happen in this season that just wow. I mean, this show is so creepy, but at the same time, time so intriguing. It's equal parts creepy and intriguing and that's one of the things i love about it make sure you're watching from on mgm plus every sunday night it is a must watch type scenario not just for the frumily as they call themselves but for you you should be watching this thing thanks to the amazing cast of from for joining me to talk about season two up next we'll get close to the end of season one of rabbit hole from paramount plus i'll talk to Mita golding and rob yang next on the down and nerdy podcast this is Dave Dastmalchen, creator of Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The breaking point has almost been reached. Season one of Rabbit Hole is heading quickly toward its finale. Two more episodes left in this first season, one this Sunday, and then the following Sunday is going to be the season one finale. So I got a chance to catch up with a couple of the big name characters in this season. Made a Golding, who plays Haley, and Rob Yang, who plays Edward Hom. Both on Team Weir, both trying to keep things together and get to the bottom of what's going on with Crowley and try and save the world. Let's talk to Maida first and get caught up with something that's going on with Haley because I feel like she's playing a big part headed towards the finale. Maida, it's been an amazing season so far and a crazy one at that. We've seen Weir, he's starting to unravel more and more with each passing episode. How much of a toll is that taking on Haley and the team in general? Oh, a huge toll. We don't know because our leader is losing his mind and Haley starts to question his choices and whether he's thinking clearly. So it, it we're very upset and, and don't know what to do. And I think Haley's trying to sort out whether he's paranoid or whether, you know, whether what he's saying has value, trying to sift through it. Yeah. And it's been difficult for sure. We kind of found out that Valance was kind of that lighthouse at sea for Weir when he kind of loses his way like this. Yeah. Do you feel like does Haley want to be that person for him or just maybe she feel like she needs to be that person for him? I think that Haley's a survivor. And I think that she recognizes that Weir is not operating with all his marbles. I think that she doesn't trust his father, Ben. And just, you know, is it's not that she wants to be what Valance is because how could she possibly even know what that relationship is? Mm-hmm. It's just that I think that she's trying to just make sure that we're safe and that nobody dies and is realizes like what a precarious, dangerous situation she's in and that they're all in. And I think also like at this point, she's starting to have more confidence in her own decision-making and it starts to kind of play chess a little bit or starts to doubt Weir's 
ability to make the right choices. And so she starts to, you know, make her own moves. Just like they, each of these characters are always constantly making their own moves. And you get to see Haley kind of go like, ah, I, I think it's better we go this way. That is very true. That actually leads me into my next question because she's just, she's come such a long way since we first met her. And it's, it's almost seems like she's a different person, but she's not. But like, what's been your favorite part about her journey up to this point? I think just getting more confident about her risk taking, I think kind of what we were just saying. I think that at first, you know, she's kind of thrown into, well, you, you, you don't, I don't want to spoil it because you got to watch it till the end, yeah. but you, you know, you, she just, into this situation and doing her best. And once she, her feet are sort of planted, she starts taking risks she, and she kind of starts to enjoy herself, even oh, yeah. though the stakes are so high, she's enjoying the, the chess of it. She's enjoying get to, getting to know we're being part of, even though it's, I, I know it's a crazy and high stakes situation and very dangerous situation, but there's also, and I, I, I like this because there, there is this in the writing, but they also kind of like being in this place. Yeah. That yeah, makes perfect fun sense. In it. Yeah. No mm -hmm. doubt about that. It would have been really easy made it to, to focus on romantic relationship between Weir and Haley. That really hasn't been the case this season. How refreshing has that been for you that that wasn't really the focus and that there was more on the story and the development of these characters. Oh my God. It was so refreshing. <laughs> like, like, like I'm understating how refreshing that is because when I first got it, I thought it was that, you know, and cause you know, you get it, you, or you read the first scene and the first time you see her, she's at a bar and they meet. And so I was like, oh, you, as I'm reading the script and then you realize, oh my goodness, it's something that's completely different. And I actually get to be a whole human being and fight and say, and, and show my intelligence and my physicality. And yeah, it also is, you know, that these people connect. So there is that, but I, it was just refreshing to just play a whole human being. Oh, absolutely. I can, I can only imagine that. So I have to ask, cause we got the finale coming up here real soon. Are we going to finally find out who we can really trust in this finale? Well, that's trust is a big word, isn't it? I will say this. All of the questions are answered. So it's not one of those finales where you just wake up where it's a dream. You know, all of there are lots of Easter eggs, so much so that, that I think as an audience member, you'll want to go back and kind of track it and rewatch it. So yeah, but I think the nature of who these people are, spies or operative, you know, nobody is completely shows all of their cards up until the end. Interesting. Now, obviously we want a season two, but yes. is are you are you looking at this kind of like, is this something Haley's even going to want to put herself through again to do to to even have a season two? I mean, I think that Haley sort of finds her tribe in a way. Weir and Haley are very similar in the ways that they're both survivors and they both like this adrenaline and make quick decisions. So, but you never know what's in store or what could, you know, what could change. I mean, maybe if there's no high, like what happens when the, you're not trying to save the world? Does it all get boring? <laughs> you know, I don't know. 
We'll have to wait and see. I can't imagine it gets boring. And I think we see that every Sunday on Paramount Plus when we watch Rabbit Hole. We've got two episodes left, the finale coming up the first weekend in May. I can't wait for you guys to see what she's got going on. Meta Golding, thank you so much for taking a few minutes today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now we need to ask, who's the man? That's right. Ed's the man. I'm going to talk to Rob Yang about Edward Hom. You want to talk about somebody who's found his way this season. He really has. Let's get more insight from him. Feels like it's been a kind of a whirlwind for Edward Hom this season so far. I'm, so I'm going through it. He's going through it. He has been going through it. But do you kind of feel like, has he finally found his people? It seems like he's trying to figure out, find a place to belong. Has he found his people now, you think? I think so. I, f- I feel like he there's, there's a part of him that's feeling joy like in a in a real way to surrender to to, to know the truth instead of you know I, I think it's a painful place that's filled with joy it's like it's living it's the fullness of everything both both like the good and the bad but at least you know i i would rather know i'd pull the band-aid off oh absolutely i think i think he's finding out in the best and worst way possible you put it you put it very well but it's funny because you said he's been through a lot and he has. We've seen, you know, obviously he was, he was shot, gone through some other things. But when there's drama happening, he seems unfazed by it. Do you, do you kind of feel like that way too? Like the physical stuff that bothers him, but it seems like the drama doesn't bother him at all. No, I, I, I think there's an element of he can't believe it's happening. Like he's so, you know, fish out of water yep. <laughs> that when as, there's, there's a detached quality of disbelief that this is actually happening to him and 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 it's when he's actually can physically f- feel the pain of of things that it's like oh, what <laughs> like what's going on like, oh yeah oh, that's this, right this isn't normal <laughs> yeah this, this is not a, a simulation this is this is actually happening i but but it's also like feeling like you're like riding a motorcycle for the first time you each sort of feel badass because you did it did something that you never thought you'd do you know that's a very that's a very good analogy that's a good point actually well speaking of not believing things are happening we kind of see the media is really propping up ed and talking about him they they compared him to to jesus at one point i think are are you worried is he gonna is he gonna be a victim to his own hype here is this are we is this gonna bite him at some point you think i you know if i i think edward would be a terrible person if he actually thought he could meet be on par with jesus (laughs) if he actually would let that in um i think it i think it's yeah i well, I mean, I don't want to ruin anything, but I, I, I feel like there's such an innocence to, to Edward that it's like not only are things happening to him for the first time, he's never felt as cool as Jesus, you know, like like being like the subject of something that's trending like this is like crazy. I think he's been fighting to get like fans for his for his food blog you know this is like outstanding this is like gold he understands that and this will definitely do it and you'll see a new episode of rabbit hole on paramount plus this sunday and we are officially right up to the finale the first weekend in may is the finale for season one of rabbit hole and you'll see what this guy's got going on rob yang thank you so much man for your time i really appreciate it thank you and I think that Maida hit it on the head when she said the rewatchability of this show is kind of off the charts because I feel like there's stuff that I'm seeing in these later episodes. I'm like, wait a minute, were there clues back in early? So I find myself going back to earlier episodes to see if there were clues that like I should have known this. I should have seen this. But the, the, the story is so well crafted that there's so many little things that matter. And they do take you back at times to earlier episodes to show you kind of how it really 
went down or where the misdirect was and things like that. And that's one of the beauty parts about a show like Rabbit Hole. And I cannot wait to find out what's going to be happening in this finale. Because if if, if you're telling me we're getting the answers, there's this, that means the last episode I think is going to be packed full of answers. I can't wait to get those along with you. Rabbit Hole, the season finale actually on May the 7th, but we have another new episode, the penultimate episode of season one, going to be happening this Sunday, April the 30th on Paramount+. Plus. Again, thanks to Maida Golding and Rob Yang for talking to me about Paramount Plus's Rabbit Hole. Up next, let's talk about Scream 6 and Andre Anthony, giving us a little insight into his character and the movie in general now that it's on digital HD. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Cullen Bunn, the writer of Micronauts, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It seems like we've come such a long way since the call was coming from inside the house. Scream 6 is now available on Digital HD and on Paramount Plus. It's going to be coming to Blu-ray and DVD in July. But I got a chance to talk to Andre Anthony, who played Frankie in the movie. And of course, you know as Mateo from The Night Agent on Netflix as well. But I got to talk to him about his time on Scream 6 and just being a part of that franchise. You heard my conversation with him about The Night Agent. Now let's talk a little bit about Scream 6 with Andre Anthony. Scream 6, actually your first like major theatrical role and you're joining just a huge franchise. How excited were you to just get into this thing? Definitely. You know, I knew, you know, it's funny, like at the beginning, you don't, I guess it doesn't really hit you as much until you're actually there and, you know, you're, you're seeing all the set pieces and, and then you kind of get a taste of the fan base and everything. But it, it was it was a little bit intimidating at first, but everybody was just such a pleasure to work with, and and it helped me ease into it right off the bat. So it was great. Now, I'm going to give you guys a little warning because we're going to talk some spoilery type stuff here because I know the diehards want to know some of the stuff that's happened like behind the scenes and with the, with the movie and everything like that. But first, I want to ask you because you you play Frankie in the movie. You're you're coming in as a new guy. Did you ever think at any point you're like, oh my gosh, like could I be? Like the ghost face killer in this thing, the new guy, the guy that everybody suspects. Did and there were odds for you possibly being ghost face too? Did you wrap your head around that at any point? You know what's hilarious is like, you know, once you get there, they they essentially they'll brief you on your character and everything that you need to know, but they they do a really good job of of kind of keeping their own secrets. Like they won't give you all of the necessary information but it's kind of funny as you're like piecing things together you're seeing like the sides for the day and you're like okay this looks like they're doing this tomorrow so this happens and then this happens so you're kind of piecing it together as you go but i think in terms of my work schedule i was like okay if i really was potentially ghostface 
they would need me for many more days to to flesh this out. But yeah, at first, even when you know when I got the part, I was like, okay, I, I see what Frankie's doing here. But then it becomes clear that maybe they're kind of throwing that as as a bit of a red herring, or you know, maybe he could come back later. But yeah, they they definitely keep things interesting for everybody on the set for sure. So people, we, we've seen this iconic costume a lot—the ghost face costume. Of course, you see it like during Halloween, you see it at comic conventions and all over the place. But what's it like when you're on a set like this and it's like real and it's and and it's all right there? What's it like to see that iconic character just in front of you in that setting? You know what? I actually personally, since the thing, the the set that I was at was at the frat house mostly. So there were kind of like some ghost face masky things around, but I didn't actually see the entire costume of somebody actually of the actual ghost. Oh, that's movie. that's a bummer. That's it a little bit bummer. Yes. But yeah, it's it's just, you know, as soon as you see that face, though, it just it really just does something to you. And I think that. That was a really exciting part about having this movie in New York is like, you know, it's around Halloween time and everybody's kind of maybe wearing a ghost mm -hmm. face mask. Maybe, you know, they could be a killer. They could not be. Maybe they're just dressing up. But as soon as you see that, it, it definitely it, it keeps you on edge. How surprised were you when you found out when you found out who the killers were actually going to be? I was I was shocked, you know. Especially because, you know, as the movie goes on, obviously, as you said, spoiler alert, but there are, you know, when Leanna's character dies, you know, mm -hmm. you're like, okay, well, obviously that kind of rules it out. It's funny when I was actually at a screening with a few of my friends, it was interesting to like kind of gauge who they thought it would be. So I would kind of like whisper, like, what do you think it is? And then, and then um, one of my friends said, oh, I think it might be liana's character and i'm like oh interesting and then she dies and then she's like okay never mind i'm wrong and i'm like okay let's, well, let's just wait <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it was you know it's always a shocker but i think this one was especially so what is it about these movies you think they i mean we're six of them in now and usually when you get to this point in, in a lot of different franchises you know it starts to get stale or it starts to get predictable and things like that what is it about the scream franchise for you you think that just makes fans just love the each one even more as they keep going because it's just it just sort of feels that way. Totally, you know, I think that I think what they've done such a good job of historically is having us really care about the characters, and I think everybody's always interested in the dynamics of the characters, and as they get to know them and love them, there's always that thing in the back of their head of because Ghostface has been so unpredictable so many times, it's like, could my favorite character be the one that's pulling off the mask this time? So I think that's probably at the heart of it. And then, you know, especially like in the case of the sixth installment here, moving it to New York, you know, it, it changes everything. You know, it it adds this whole dynamic of this franticness of the city and being on a subway and, you know, it's elbow room only and you just don't know who could be right next to you. So I think that that change of setting is is particularly what made this one really exciting. And watching it for the first time, I really kind of felt that that frantic energy and it definitely keeps you on your toes. So this is obviously looks like a very fun cast. Some of them been together together for a while. Some of them has been. You could just see the chemistry between everybody. I want you to tell me your favorite story from when the cameras weren't rolling. You know what? Um, that's a great point is is 
especially me coming into this environment, it was like, okay, a lot of these people had come back from Scream 5, so they already have this rapport. You're kind of like like the new kid at school, hoping that everybody's going to be welcoming. I think what I loved a lot in my personal case is the stuff that I was filming was the was the first week of production. Oh. So when I got there in Montreal, the rest of the cast had just got there as well. So I was lucky enough to be able to, you know, spend some time with them, you know, a week before we started filming, you know, we would hang out, get to know each other. And yeah, they just, they just welcomed me with open arms. But like you said, it's the, the chemistry is that they genuinely do all love each other. And it definitely translates on screen. What do you think the future for these movies is? Man, I think, you know, I think Matt and Tyler are so creative. And if they'll have them back to continue doing these movies, it's like they're always coming up with something new and fresh. You know, just like you said, it's like they could potentially get a bit stale, but they're always coming up with something to bring the audiences back. And, you know, the the, the possibilities are endless, you know. So I think this this new setting was very exciting and I'd be excited to see what they come up with next. And you can experience it either for the first time or again because Scream 6 is now on Digital HD, also available to stream on Paramount Plus as well. Andre Anthony, thank you so much, man, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you having me. And Andre's so right. Just with these movies, you just never know, right? And the fact that they've been able to keep things this fresh for six movies is incredible to me. So whether you're a diehard fan or you're just coming into the franchise and you're playing catch-up, I think that you're going to find that these movies just find a way to stay fresh. And who knows what the future is going to be. We know that there is a future, but it'll be interesting to see where they go with this. Because, I mean, I've got a few ideas, but I'm curious to see what they come up with next. Again, thanks to Andre Anthony for joining me to talk about Scream 6. If you want to hear more about Andre Anthony's work on The Night Agent, you could check out the full interview on YouTube. Also, if you go back a few episodes on the podcast as well, I'll talk about The Night Agent and so much other, th- so many other things that he's doing as well. So go check that out too while you're at it. Up next, it's my review of Citadel, the brand new Russo Brothers series on Prime Video. It's now streaming. We'll talk about it now on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Griffin Newman from The Tick, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I guess for this show, it will be Spies Reassemble. Citadel is now streaming its first couple of episodes on Prime Video. I wanted to give a spoiler-free review of this thing since it just dropped. I don't want to be that guy that spoils it for anybody. In case you don't know, this is done by the Russo brothers, who are of you know Avengers Endgame fame and so many Marvel movies. And this is actually about... The Citadel, who the Citadel, who is a spy agency, they've kind of been wiped out by this new powerful syndicate called Manticore. Now they've kind of risen to power, and there's a couple of agents who got their memories wiped. Now, they, you know, can they get back to who they were and sort of stop this Manticore before it even starts? And I have to say, I love the dynamic between Richard Madden, who plays Mason Kane, and Priyanka Chopper Jonas, who plays Nadia Sin. And but but I will say this is that this is very much, at least the early parts of these episodes, are centered around Mason Kane. The, the, he's kind of the, the focal point of this story. And it's hard for me to really say too much without spoiling anything, but there's choices that he has to make like right off the bat. And I mean some really seriously life-changing choices in these first couple of episodes where you could go one way, or you could go another way. And whether or not you think he makes these choices too simply or not simply enough, that is a ma- certainly a matter, I think, for debate 
in this show because he has, you know, when you get your memory wiped, you kind of go off into another life whether you like it or not. And that other life is one of those things that, you know, for, for him, it's a little bit different than it was for Nadia. And you'll find that out as you're watching this show and, and what happens from there. And, you know, what he sort of chooses becomes a really big part of the show. So you sort of get invested in that part of the character story. In the early going, though, in these first couple of episodes, that's the only character story to me that really grabs you. I mean, there's intrigue involving Nadia's character. There's intrigue involving Bernard, who's Stanley Tucci's character. And there's you know a little bit of fun being had there as well. But Mason's story is the one that I think that if it wasn't there, I don't know what you'd have in the first couple of episodes of this series. Yeah, the action is certainly great. I think you've got a lot of good action scenes. This this show wastes no time getting right into it. I will. That is one thing that I do really love is that this show wastes absolutely no time in getting to the nitty gritty of not only what it's about, but the action and things like that. It, it kind of tells you not all, but who some of the major players are in Manticores too. So that's not really kept a secret. There's not a lot of secrets early on in this show. You sort of get things laid out for you pretty well in the beginning. And and I think that that's, you know, a testament to, to Brian O and David, and David Weil and, and Josh Applebaum, who, who created this show in the first place is that you've got that going for you right away. And the choreography on some of this fight on some of these fight scenes is, is really incredible. At the same time, I, I kind of look at this and I go, I wanted to be wowed more, I think is what I was looking for. I was looking for a little bit more, of a wow factor than I actually got it because maybe maybe it's recency bias too, because the night agent was so good now. And it's, it's hard to compare the two because they're, they're different stories, different circumstances, but you know, the, I think that they genre wise, they match up against each other. Well, and the way that the night agent executed their story, they did such a great job with not just the character building, but the execution of their mystery and even the, everything about that show just sort of worked. And this one kind of left me wanting more. And I don't know if it's because I only got two episodes of this show right off the bat, or if it's because the, the early execution of the night agent was just better for me. And I don't like to be the guy that compares things like that. But when you've got a show that was that good and, and people are still watching, you know, in bunches on Netflix and then prime video puts this one out so soon, I think you kind of can't help but compare the two shows a little bit. Now, are, are Richard Madden and Priyanka Chopper Jonas amazing? And the chemistry between them, is it great? Yeah, both of those things are 100% true. But you also have this looming thing of, well, what about the other stuff? And we know that there's some secrets that are still involved here. And, you know, there's some stuff that that, that happened. It look, it looks like, you know, Bernard's got something going on. It, maybe Nadia's got something going on. And, you know, when you've when you've got a past, it's right there and you, and you got to figure and you got to flesh that out a little bit. And we need to know a little bit more about Manticore. So there's there's certainly quite intriguing questions there. But I was just kind of when I see the trailers and I saw this and this, maybe I built this thing up too much in my mind. I just kind of expected a little bit more of a wow factor from this show. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen because I'm still intrigued. I'm still going to watch it. I, th- I still think, think it's still a good show. But I, I guess I, in my mind, I was looking for great right off the bat, and I kind of didn't get that. And when I didn't get it, I went, huh, 
after I got done watching these first couple of episodes. So let's see what happens throughout the rest of the season. I'll keep tabs on this. Maybe I'll update my review in a little bit. But for right now, Citadel, it's good. Definitely something you need to be watching, but I, I don't go into it expecting your mind to get blown because I don't think it's going to be mine wasn't. And if yours was, I mean, that's awesome. Tell me why this one blew your mind right off the bat. That's going to do it for my review of Citadel from Prime Video, which is now streaming. Up next, let's get to some nerd news, talk about some CinemaCon stuff, and a heck of a lot more. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Brittany Ishibashi from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week, Vegas was the place for movies. It's time for nerd news, and that means a bunch of trailers coming out of CinemaCon, which is basically Comic-Con for movies. It's, it's basically for it's for it's for movie theaters and movie theater chains and press to kind of get a look at some movies and see and companies to release their slates and things like that. And I'm not going to go through all of the. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's come out, a lot of release dates and all that stuff. But let's just talk about the big trailers. That came out of this because I think that's really the important thing. The first one is the second trailer for The Flash, which we could see in theaters on June the 16th from Warner Brothers Pictures, obviously. And I got to say, first of all, the reviews of this thing has drawn really high praise. They had a screening there. It wasn't like a final, you know, cut screening, but it was a screening of the movie for a bunch of press. And it seems like it got the high praise that everybody's been saying it was. You know, James Gunn saying it's the best superhero movie he's ever seen. And a lot of people don't didn't necessarily agree with that, but also didn't downplay it either. It seems like this thing is going to... And the thing I've heard is it's DC's best movie so far. And that says a lot anyway to me. So in this second trailer, kind of... It starts out, you see Michael Keaton's Batman. And he says, you know, I basically I've been fighting because my parents died. And I thought that, you know, fighting crime would bring them back. You actually brought them back. Barry, but then also you again you get to see the consequences of that. You get a little bit more of, of Sasha Kali as 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 Supergirl and as Kara. And I got to say that every time I see her now, I get more and more excited to see her play this character. And you know, of course, she agrees to help them fight Zod and things like that. And but then all of a sudden, it seems like there's a bit of a shift here, and it seems like that shift happens in this battle with Zod at some point. Like you see Sasha Kali saying, "What did you do?" And that certainly. Makes me think that Barry did something, because let's face it, I love Barry Allen, but he's always doing something to kind of maybe somewhat screw something up. And there's two Barry Allens in this, so you have double the chance of them screwing something up. But you also see that they want to do good. He wants to save his family, but he also wants to undo what he did. And the dynamic between these two Barry Allens, I think, is going to be one of the more interesting parts about this movie, because obviously they're different ages and different times and things like that, so... How that dynamic plays out, I think, is interesting, but it also props up the ultimate badassery of Michael Keaton's Batman once again. Like, we had any doubts about that before. I also thought it was funny, there was a story that came out where Michael Shannon had said, and he plays Zod, said, oh, I got Zack Snyder's blessing to, to return to these movies. I'm thinking, what the hell do you need Zack Snyder's blessing for? Like, seriously, I know that... There are people that have Zack Snyder propped up as a cinema god and that he did everything right. Well, clearly he didn't do everything right. And I say that as somebody who actually enjoyed Zack Snyder's movies. But the way he's been propped up on this pedestal like he's friggin' dark side sitting on the throne of Apocalypse, it's kind of ridiculous to me that 
it, that this is even happening that he's gotten this kind of praise. I don't get it. But like, if you want to go play a character again, dude, knock yourself out. Just go do it. You don't need Zack Snyder's permission. So I just kind of thought that was interesting. And, and you know, to, in all fairness to Michael Shannon, he probably would have. I think it's classy that he went to Zack Snyder and 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 said this. So I will say that for Michael Shannon. But again, it's like it's not like he needs permission. I thought that that was a little, little bit crazy. And I thought that you know people that think, oh, that's so great. Yeah, okay, whatever. It's, it's Zack Snyder's opinion of DC movies no longer matters. I know that's going to be a hot take, and I know it's going to make some people upset, but it's true. His opinion of DC movies no longer matters. He's out of it until they decide, and if they ever decide, to bring him back in. And at this point, the way people are just so rabid about this guy, I wouldn't bring him back because it's just not worth the headache of bringing him back. But this Flash movie looks like it's going to be really good. A little bit of a side tangent there on Zack Snyder. I'm just kind of, I'm tired of it at this point. You know, and I I say that as someone who kind of backed him, but I'm tired of it at this point. So let's move on, shall we? Let's talk about Transformers Rise of the Beast. That second trailer also came out, and you're starting to see reports that, oh, this movie's a mess and blah, 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 blah. Okay, Paramount's worried about it. We don't know any of that stuff, okay? What we do know is the second trailer brings more of the humor into this thing, and that's something we've kind of seen off and on in Transformers movies, and sometimes it's worked and sometimes it hasn't. But we also find out that Unicron is going to be the villain in this movie, and that's kind of the reason that everybody's sort of banding together sort of thing. Well, not everybody, clearly, because there's a battle going on. But in, you know, between you know Optimus Primal and and Optimus Prime teaming up together to fight, you know, the, obviously the forces of Unicron and beyond. But it, this does seem like one of those movies where it's like, okay, is there a purpose other than you know let's let's save the Earth and maybe there's also going to be a why should we save the Earth kind of element to this thing. I wouldn't mind that. And you know, you saw Optimus get upset that a human was brought in. To the whole thing, and I can't say that I blame him. I'm pretty upset about humans being brought in too. I don't need humans in my Transformers movies. I've said that a bunch of times. I just don't know what the human element's going to add here, other than you know we want to save this planet for us, but also for the humans who welcomed us, sort of thing. I get that aspect. I don't need a human in the movie to give me that though. If you really want this movie to be what it is, and that is Transformers battling against an evil force, can't you just? Give me that. It's not like you have to bring regular dudes in to move into into Marvel movies to make them interesting. It's not like you need to bring in a regular everyday person to make another superhero movie interesting. Transformers are essentially superheroes fighting against supervillains. Can't it just be that? You don't need an everyday man or an error or a kid or a teenager, whatever. You don't need to bring that in to make these interesting. So that's the one thing I am still worried about about these movies and I, but I think you know it's having Unicron as the villain I think is an interesting choice to be brought in for this particular movie it almost feels a little desperate it almost feels like okay we have to do this in order to get to bring people back we have to have the Thanos of Transformers basically to come in and try and get people interested in these movies again cuz this may they maybe see this as their last chance for a live action Transformers movie and I'm and I'm not sure that we need one of those anymore. If this doesn't work, we need to we need to just stop doing them because I think they found that out with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You see, Mutant Mayhem is going to be the animated movie that came out, and they, I'm not saying they'll never do another live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, but it seems like they figured out okay, maybe this will work work better in animation, and w- maybe it will, maybe it won't. We'll find out soon enough. But I think that in in what they're doing here, it kind of makes sense 
that this could be the last hurrah for live-action Transformers movies. We'll just have to wait and see how that goes. It seems like we've been waiting forever for a trailer for The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes adaptation, which is going to be coming out on Thanksgiving, by the way. So props to whoever decided that this was going to be coming out on Thanksgiving. Although I see November 17th, and I can't imagine November 17th is Thanksgiving. I'll go ahead and narrow that down for you, if I can. But this is basically, you know, you have a young Snow played by Tom Blythe, and he, you know, the Snow family was prominent. Now they're not in the post-war capital. And, you know, he's kind of the last chance for his family to get their power back. And he's assigned a mentor, Lucy Graybeard, who's played by Rachel Zegler, in the Hunger Games, you know, for she's from District 12. And immediately when you see this trailer, you see that there is definitely, there is definitely parallels between Lucy Gray and Katniss Everdeen. I don't know if that's on purpose. I don't know if that makes you go, at first it kind of made me go, really, you're going to do that? But then all of a sudden it, it dawns on me. It's like, okay, so that's why when Snow met Katniss you know, all those years later, he knew like she's a threat. She's going to be a problem. Maybe it's because of his experience all those years ago with Lucy Gray that he just kind of knew what was there. Although at the same time, he's thinking, okay, I can use her to get back into power, it seems like. So he kind of like what started as a mentorship sort of seems like it turns into like a partnership sort of thing. And then it, it's a race for survival after that, right? But uh, but you also have to wonder, you have to wonder when that turn is going to happen because it seems like there's got to be a turn there somewhere, right? And you, we're obviously, because we know what snow becomes. And then you get that line from him and I'm paraphrasing it because I don't know if I remember it exactly. It's like, it's the ones that, it's the ones you love that will hurt you the most or something along those lines, right? So obviously something happens to make him make that turn into the President Snow that we know now. So, But there's a double intrigue here because we've got somebody that was like the the from the very first Hunger Games and sort of putting on this 10th Hunger Games. I think it's the 10th Hunger Games anyway, if I'm remembering right from the trailer. And, and, you know, they've got the OG Game Master back sort of thing, and it seems like there's a lot of tension between he and Snow, and he's clearly got an axe to grind with that family, and, th- and this is the character that's played by Peter Dinklage, and you can see clearly what he's going to be adding to this cast. It actually looks like a really good ensemble cast. Well, not that that should really be surprising, because the, the Hunger Games movies did that well anyway. But this movie, I think, is going to be judged... I'm sure it'll be judged fairly, but at the same time, it still has lofty expectations to live up to. And, and a prequel, I think, adds a little bit more of a heavy hand on those expectations because, you know, we already know what's coming, you know, so so many years later, granted, but you still know what's coming. So I think that for this movie to be successful, it has to have a wow factor. And I really hope that it has that. We'll find that out on November the 17th, apparently. So we have a new Disney movie that's going to be dropping on November the 22nd. And that is wish from Walt Disney animation studios so this is what follows a character named asha who's she's described as a sharp-witted idealist and she, basically this is a, a a world where you you make you know your greatest wishes can come true gee where have we heard that before walt disney you know where dreams come true sort of thing you know when you wish upon a star that's their basis for the whole company for like 100 years so she makes a wish and it's answered by this cosmic force it's a little ball of light 
called Star. Okay, that's a simple enough name, easy to remember. So Star and Asha team up to kind of go up against the ruler of Rosas, which is the kingdom that they're in, King Magnifica, who we know will now be voiced by Chris Pine. And she wants to save her community, and it's basically one of the things where you know, one person can change the world sort of thing. One person can change the fate of, of many sort of thing. And that's it's your typical Disney storyline of overcoming odds, and that's something that they've done very well over the years. Alan Tudyk's actually going to be the voice of Valentino, the goat that you see in the trailer, and I love that. So I think that's one of those characters that could really steal the show. And you've got Ariana DeBose, who's going to be playing Asha. So this movie has a chance. And I think that Walt Disney Animation Studios has been putting out better stuff than Pixar has lately. And it used to be the other way around, right? It used to be that Pixar was the one that was doing all the amazing things. And then Walt Disney Animation Studios was starting to fall behind. Now we've flip-flopped that. And Walt Disney Animation Studios has put out a lot of winners lately. But, you know, after what's happened in the last couple of movies, both from Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios that haven't done so well, they need a win. So hopefully this can be the thing that is the win for them. I know that they've got Element coming out before this, and this isn't coming out until November the 22nd. So they have a chance to right double the wrongs here coming up. We'll see if they're able to do that. One more trailer I want to talk about is for the Twisted Metal series that's going to be hitting Peacock on July the 27th. Now we know that release date. That is, of course, based on the video game by the same name. And you've got this crazy guy who's going to try and deliver a package across a post-apocalyptic world to kind of, you know, gain his freedom sort of thing. So we get to see a little bit of this. You get to see Anthony Mackie's character. I, I love the fact you pop the burnt CD and that takes me back. If you don't know what a burnt CD is, you're going to have to Google it, kids. If you're that age, you might need to Google it. But that's what we used to live on, basically. And you see him hop on the car, you know, guns blazing and stuff like that. But I think what we really wanted to see was that first look at Sweet Tooth. So you see the ice cream truck, right? And you think, all right, there's no way that they're actually going to show us Sweet Tooth in this trail. Oh, they did show him in the teaser. Okay, so we finally got to see a look at Sweet Tooth. And I got to say, from the little bit we saw, and it's a little bit, looked good to me. Looked like they did that. They they definitely did that justice. It looks like we're going to get practical effects on that, which I think is going to up the creep factor and it's going to up the wow factor in that because not CG isn't always better. Okay, and I believe it's Samoa Joe, the wrestler that's going to be playing Sweet Tooth. So he certainly has the body type for that character. So I think that being able to do it this way is going to make it so much better. And I think I really hope we see more and more practical effects in this series than we do, you know, massive, you know, CG effects or something like that, something else like that, because I think that this is one of those, it, it's a it's a gritty, grindy type thing, and I really think that practical effects work better for something like that. Hopefully, that is what we're going to be getting. Really quickly, I wanted to talk about an announcement that Prime Video made, which I thought was really interesting, because they've acquired more Batman content. We already know that they've got the Batman Cape Crusader animated series. It's going to be running for two seasons with the all-star creative team behind that. I think they're hoping this will be like the next great Batman animated series. But then you've also got a movie called Merry Little Batman. And this is definitely made for kids, by the way. You can just tell that from the animation style. And then after that, there's going to be a spin-off series from that called Bat Family. And it's going to follow Batman, Alfred, and Young Damien. Young Damien's actually going to be Little Batman in this. So I don't think it's going to be douchebag Damien. I think it's just going to be like a kid version of Damien, and you get, you know, all kinds of newcomers coming to Wayne Manor as well, and they're kind of navigating the fun and frustrations of life as a superhero family. So it's like a, a kid's 
animated series. And there really hasn't been a successful kids animated series of Batman in a while. I mean, it certainly attempted certain things, but nothing that really stuck. So I hope that this one kind of sticks. Although the animation style looks very interesting. It almost looks like Aquaman King of Atlantis, if you remember that, or the or the Thundercats remake series that they tried to do. But it also has a little bit of like Craig of the Creek mixed in there a little bit too for animation style. So I'm curious to see where this actually ends up going. But ultimately, I think that this is a really good idea. And I think that, you know, but don't be mad about this. If you're an adult and you look at this and you're like, oh, this looks stupid. Why would it? We're not doing it for you. Okay. I think that's something that we need to start realizing is that not everything that gets put out is going to be for you and going to be for adults because we need gateway shows for kids to get into this thing. Not every kid's going to be watching Michael Keaton's Batman for the first time. That's not always going to be their entry into Batman. If you, th- if you go back and really think about it, if it wasn't comics, for you, it was something else on the screen that probably wasn't a live action movie. It was probably for me. It was like the filmation Batman stuff, and it was the it was the Super Friends series and things like that, and the old you know Scooby Doo Batman things, those crossovers there, and the Adam West Batman, which was live action. I get it, but a different version of Batman. Those were my gateways into Batman fandom. And now, granted, I was at the age where I saw Michael Keaton's Batman movie. And, you know, that kind of, you know, brings it to a different level and ages Batman up for you. But you always start somewhere as a kid and you got to find that love. And I hope that this can be that for kids and fans of Batman for years to come. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my so many amazing guests this week. My goodness. Make sure you're following up with everything at downandnerdypodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That really, really helps out. I know you love listening on the website, too. But please, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast, it really, really helps the show. Also, make sure you're following along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, and at Down and Nerdy Pod, where we're having a lot of fun on TikTok, bringing you all kinds of different content. I do TikTok Lives on there as well, where, I, where it's like an extension of the podcast. It's a lot of fun. If you don't follow me on TikTok, make sure you do that. Also, make sure you follow at Down and Nerdy Podcast on YouTube, as well, yeah, YouTube videos of interviews and stuff and trailers get posted all the time. So if you're going to watch the trailer anyway, you should watch it on our YouTube channel. That kind of helps out the show as well. But always remember one thing. You never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.